You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn to Proverbs 15, Solomon continues to encourage and urge his son in his relationship and walk with God. And again, we're in a section of Proverbs where we have a cluster of statements that are basically standalone in nature. Uh, There will be a couple of times where you might lump two or three verses together. But by and large, each one of these Proverbs, each verse is its own standalone thought. And again, part of the reason that this is helpful to the modern reader is that without forcing the Proverbs into a more organized thematic approach, in other words, all the Proverbs about parenting or all the Proverbs about money, if they had lumped them all together, uh, then you know, we would sit down and read a chapter and it would be the money chapter or the parenting chapter or the relationships chapter. Uh, But the advantage of this more scattered approach from the organizers of all of these different Proverbs is that when we sit down with the Proverbs, uh, there is bound to be something that is for us at that particular moment in our lives. And so, uh, just again, a reminder of the advantage of this kind of organization of the book of Proverbs. Now, verse 1 is a beautiful proverb, uh, very uh, helpful in navigating difficult relationships. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Many translations say a gentle answer or a tender answer answer. And the idea here is that a soft, gentle, or tender answer uh, quenches the fire of someone else's wrath. Now, this doesn't mean that it is striking a compromise. In other words, the soft answer doesn't mean necessarily that the person is giving in or assenting to someone else's will or desires. But it does have a conciliatory approach, a desire to try to understand where the other person is coming from. And when you think about this, it's just so practical. Because when someone comes at you in full strength, if you respond with like strength, then we already know what's going to happen. Any mindful, real, intellectual you know, dialogue is going to be destroyed. It's just strength against strength. And now it just turns into an argument that is uh, unthinking and more than likely unproductive. Uh, Gideon is an example of this in Judges chapter 8. After he began his battle against the Midianites, uh, the men of Ephraim they wondered, why didn't you call us when you went to fight against Midian? And really, you know, they hadn't gone out to the fight with Gideon. They hadn't accepted the call. But in their fierce 
and illogical accusation, Gideon said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiezer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? And it says, then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And so what you have there with Gideon is that soft answer, that gentle or tender answer. He basically responds to them with a complimentary word about their strength and their ability. Now, you know, it's one thing to think about that in Bible times and the life of Gideon and things like that. But let's make this very practical. Think about so many of the ways that we communicate with people. I mean, obviously, a soft answer turning away wrath, we would think about the verbal exchanges that we have with people so often. You know, you come at me verbally, you say something to me verbally, and I have a decision on how I'm going to reply verbally. And and so, you know, to think about it in that way, and this is a real challenge. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need uh, the Spirit of Christ to himself when he was reviled, did not revile in return. Uh, we need that ability to be able to, when verbally, you know, spoken harshly to, to not respond in that same way. But then also, so much of our communication in this modern era happens in digital or um, written out digitally communication. And so to really think about that, I think this is especially helpful because Sometimes behind the protection or safety of the screen and the keyboard and that distance that is created by communicating in that way, uh, there might be a lack of tactfulness, gentleness that the Lord wants us to have. And so, you know, we can really get ourselves into a lot of trouble and stir up all kinds of anger when we respond with a you know, harsh text message or a harsh uh, email or a harsh message uh, in the digital sphere. And so to remember, a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, moving on into verse two, Solomon continues and says, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. Here you have him giving a contrast. And the contrast isn't the pouring out of knowledge versus the pouring out of folly. Uh, the verse ends with the mouth of fools pours out folly. And, and so you'd almost expect that the first part of the verse would say the tongue of the wise pours out knowledge or pours out wisdom. Uh, but here, instead of that, he says, no, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. In other words, the wise person makes knowledge commendable, appealing, acceptable, and attractive. The fool just has folly pouring out of their mouths. But the wise person, in the way that they speak, there's an attractiveness about the life and the knowledge and the wisdom that they are propagating from their mouths. It's not just that the wise pours out wisdom or knowledge, it's that the very knowledge that they're pouring out, it's commendable, it's appealing, it's attractive. Verse three, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, 
keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, this is a little bit of theology in the book of Proverbs, the idea of the omniscience of God, that Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But it's not only theology in the sense that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, but it has a practical tone to it when he says, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. Now, obviously, whatever side of that coin you are habitually on will dictate what kind of feeling you have as a result of this truth or this reality. If you're on the evil side of things, then this verse is designed to stir up a little bit of godly fear or terror. If you're on the good side of things, it's designed to bring a comfort to your life, that even when no one else sees the good, the Lord sees. Now, verse 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Now, again, uh, in verse 1, we saw a soft answer or a gentle answer versus a harsh word. And here we hear a gentle tongue, but not in contrast with a harsh tongue, but in a perverse tongue, a gentle tongue, a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. What this is, is a gentle, soothing, wholesome word in contrast to a perverse, deceptive, or duplicitous word. And what he's saying here is that you know, that duplicitous, perverse, evil kind of mouth or tongue, it breaks the spirit. There's no tree of life. There's no fruit that's coming out. It's actually destroying people. And maybe a better way to think about this verse is by thinking about the outcome. That with your mouth, you can produce a tree of life. Your mouth can be actually a tree of life. Or your mouth can be the kind of mouth that breaks the spirit of others. I think this is a great parenting word. Uh, just to consider, what type of parent do you want to be? Do you want to be the person that is breaking the spirit through deception or a duplicitous nature or perversity or anger, some kind of sin in your voice? Or do you want your tongue to be a tree of life? Now, that doesn't always mean that uh, there will be a lack of confrontation or anything like that. No, a good parent understands that to say no is a helpful word to children. That can be a tree of life to them. It can protect them from so much harm and so much danger. But to be an encouraging word, to have a, a voice that is uh, building up and bringing life is an all-important mindset for a parent to have. Now, in verse 5, he goes on to say, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. So here, a theme that recurs throughout Proverbs is rep repeated. The acceptance of reproof, accepting reproof. Uh, and uh, here, we have a theme here of accepting a father's instruction. So you have a father He's giving instruction, he's giving reproof, and a wise person uh, receives those things from a parent or receives those things 
uh, from others. You know, the truth is, according to this proverb, your reaction to discipline reveals a lot about you. If there's a despising of instruction, well, that says something. Here, it says that it's foolish to despise a father's instruction. Uh, But then to receive it, to be ready, is a massive part of the wise life. Verse 6, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Now, again, as we've mentioned before, the Proverbs are general in nature. And not only that, but they are written during the era that God was dealing specifically with the nation of Israel. And generally uh, there, the righteous, as they lived righteously, their lives would lead to a general prosperity. In other words, the idea here is, you know, if you live a good life, especially there in the Israelite era, then you'll probably be provided for. It's just a wise kind of life. Now, in our modern era, we understand that as the Spirit of Christ has gotten a hold of our lives, that Christ, who himself lived an impoverished uh, life, that, that sometimes we might be led into that very same place. Paul understood how to be content in either extreme, to be abased or to abound, he told the Philippian church. But here the concept has more to do with enjoyment than with treasure. He's not so much saying that the righteous will have treasure and the wealthy will not. Uh, What he does seem to be saying is that the righteous, they will enjoy their treasure, but he says trouble befalls the income of of the wicked, or as the NASB says, trouble is in the income of the wicked. In other words, strings are attached to that income. There's a lack of satisfaction or a lack of enjoyment that is embedded in sinful gain. Then he says in verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. So the wise lips flow from the heart and the foolish lips come from the heart also. So uh, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools, because your wisdom or your knowledge, ultimately it springs from that heart. Verse 8 and 9, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but He loves him who pursues righteousness. Now, this is a familiar prophetic theme when you think about it, because what the proverb is saying is that the spiritual condition of the worshiper determines the acceptability of the worship in God's sight. There's a certain kind of sacrifice and way, he says, that is an abomination to the Lord. It's the sacrifice of the wicked. It's the way of the wicked. Of course, we saw this in 1 Samuel 15. You know, the life of Saul when he was offering sacrifices to God. And Samuel asked him the question, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen 
than the fat of rams, 1 Samuel 15, 22. You know, verses like that help us to understand that God is interested in the heart condition of the worshiper. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 offered a sacrifice or an offering, if you will, to God. But their hearts were far from the Lord. And to God, these types of sacrifices or manners of life are an abomination to him. Now in verse 10, he says, There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. This is a classic escalation of consequences kind of proverb. You know, there's severe discipline if you forsake the way. You hate reproof, you'll die. You know, it's, it, it gets worse, he's saying, as time goes on. If you just persist in this rebellion against the natural order of God's word and the consequences that he's built into the universe, and you continue to rebel against his written revelation, there's great pain that comes. Verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of man. And again, here's an escalating kind of proverb. The first phrase is, well, hey, God, he sees into hell itself. Sheol and Abaddon, they lie open before God. And what he's saying here is if God knows the remote underworld, the human heart is easy for him to discern. And so this, again, helps us with understanding the Lord's unlimited knowledge of the human heart. You know, he knows your heart. He knows what's going on in there. He knows the feelings and the emotions and the tendencies. And of course, you know, as we read the Proverbs from the cross backward, we understand that part of the way in which God is so in tune with the hearts of the children of man is because well, he took our hell upon himself on the cross of Christ. And so, you know, he, he became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation, the substitution there upon the cross helped the Lord to experience, you know, the very things that we experience. And so he knows the hearts of the children of man. A scoffer, verse 12, does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. And this just indicates that the scoffer, he doesn't like correction, and he'll avoid correction. He won't go to the wise. I think this kind of concept is repeated in 2 Timothy 4.3 when Paul said, A time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll accumulate for themselves with their itching ears teachers to suit their own passions. That's, that's the idea of this proverb. You know, a refusal to go to the wise, to receive correction, because it's unpleasant. Rather, the, the approach is, I'll find someone to say what I like. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, verse 13, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. You know, our sad world that we live in with, ought to really pause on the sorrow that has been caused and the, the, the crushed spirit that results. You know, if you think about our Western world, at least, uh, we live in an age where the technological, financial, educational, and medical advancements are off the charts. If you were to ask 
uh, previous generations, if they thought that they would be satisfied and happy with this amount of health and this amount of education and, and this amount of food and clothing and shelter, if you were to ask them, could you imagine a people with all of that being a broken people, a dissatisfied people, they, they'd probably say, there's no way. You're out of your mind. That sounds like a wonderful people that would be so happy and joyful. But suicide and depression and um, medication rule the day uh, in our modern world. And so there's a problem, he's saying here in the proverb, in the heart. The heart must be dealt with. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. In other words, uh, wisdom is an acquired taste. All the days, verse 15, of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. I think here we have both a reality, you know, something provided for us by the cross of Christ, you know, a, a, a cheerful heart, a continual feast, you know, as long as I've got the Lord, there's something beautiful that I always possess. But it also seems to be a little bit of a word of advice that the afflicted, yeah, you might be going through evil days, but there's a need to cultivate a cheerful or happy heart. This is the the cultivation of the interior attitudes of man. I alluded to it already, but Philippians 4, 11 to 13, that's where Paul talked about the secret of contentment and uh, being able to, in whatever situation he was in, to have that satisfaction. And about that, he said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, one of my favorite verses are here in verse 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Uh, these are two of the 19 better than verses in Proverbs. You know, better is this than that kind of Proverbs. And of course, mankind would generally choose wealth over poverty. Uh, but what he's saying here is, you don't want that if it means laying down the fear of the Lord and laying down relational love. That would be too high of a price. And again, I, I think that this is a beautiful uh, cluster of verses to help the modern mind and man. I think so much anxiety and pain uh, comes from our pursuit of more, more, and more. And if we could just be content with a little and a dinner of herbs, uh, I think we'd experience the Lord and relationships with others to such a strong and powerful degree. Verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So a man with rage who can't stretch out or be long regarding his anger, slow to anger, uh, just as a painful man. The way, verse 19, of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. You know, this is so true. A, a lazy man makes a hard life for himself. It's, his whole way is like a hedge of thorns. But, a, you know, an upright, hardworking person, they make the smoothest life possible. A level highway is the way he describes it. A wise son, verse 20, makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. So again, like 
uh, the proverb that we saw in chapter 10, verse 1, children impact their parents' joy. And any parent understands this, and especially with adult children that uh, choose wisely or choose foolishly, and it has a great bearing upon a, on a, on a parent's uh, experience of joy. Folly, verse 21, is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. This paints the idea of chasing fantasies. And uh, this is so often uh, the reality of, of the fool. They, they lack sense. They're always chasing you know, some foolish pursuit. But a man with understanding, he just looks straight ahead. He just walks straight ahead. It's a straight path. Verse 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, again, this is a generality. Just because you have many counselors doesn't always mean that you'll come up with a good plan. Uh, but the idea here is, in general, counsel leads to success. And quite a few times, this concept is held out in the Proverbs. We've already seen it in chapter 11, verse 14. Ultimately, it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand, chapter 19, 21, but these good plans uh, will include many eyes and many ears. Uh, there's something about, you know, gathering a lot of different people together in uh, making plans. To make an apt answer, verse 23, is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. Uh, this speaks of an apt answer or appropriate speech, you know, a word in season. And uh, timing is of the essence when it comes to speaking uh, words of encouragement, to be able to say the right thing at the right time. The path of life, verse 24, leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. And so here we have another suggestion about everlasting life, the upward life that turns away from Sheol beneath, but goes uh, in the opposite direction. The Lord, verse 25, tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. Now, in Israel, the original parameters that God had designed were marked out and preserved by these boundary markers. And a widow was vulnerable to thieves who might try to steal her land and move those markers and take the land for themselves. And so what he's saying here is that, hey, God, God sees that. And this helps us understand, of course, the heart of God and what breaks the heart of God. And, and to see someone taken advantage of breaks God's heart. The thoughts of the wicked, verse 26, are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever, verse 27, is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. This is a warning about corruption or against corruption and bribes. You know, once you receive a bribe or once you receive a payment, it's hard for you to speak and think lucidly, clearly with conviction. The money taints your thoughts about a subject. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, verse 28, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Now, this is similar to other Proverbs, like in verse 2 of this chapter. 
But the focus here is that a righteous person meditates on or studies how to answer. It's basically a desire to think before answering. The, the righteous person ponders how to answer. Uh, this is so good. The, there's the question of what to answer, but also how to answer. And so we, we want to, you know, be the gentle voice, but also know what to say and to, to pray about it, to think about it, to consider it, to say, I'll get back to you is important for the godly. The Lord, verse 29, is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And so the righteous person covered by the blood of Jesus, uh, God hears their prayer because that person has access into God's throne room. The light of the eyes rejoices, verse 30, rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. You know, I've noticed this in, in my leadership dealings. I've noticed how important uh, a gleam in my eye and just a smile and a, uh, a good word to the people that I'm leading. It goes a long way, it seems, to enliven the people that I serve with. And so I try to grow in that area of my life, to laugh, to smile, to be joyful with them because it really rejoices the heart and refreshes the bones. Now, final verses, verse 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Here the Lord is involved, and we have conditions for entering into the realm of the wise. Uh, ears that listen to life-giving reproof, uh, the fear of the Lord, and humility are all ingredients, he says, that lead us into a wise life. God bless you, and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.